Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain and this is Improv Nerd. As you know, we are sponsored by the good people at Hotel Lincoln. So the next time you're in Chicago and you're looking for one of the coolest, kitschiest boutique hotels, that's close to everything, including the Second City. And it's not only improviser friendly, it's pet friendly as well. And not many hotels can say that. Check out the Hotel Lincoln. The Hotel Lincoln, the official hotel of Improv Nerd. Our guest today is Timmy Mays. He is a well-respected improviser, teacher, and actor at I.O. Chicago, where he plays on, I, I believe these guys are one of the oldest Herald teams around, the legendary Deep Schwa. He also plays with Challenger and Fetch, and Timmy does a lot of characters. So we sat down and we talked to him about what his approach to them are. He also tells us why he decided to go through the I.O. training program for a second time and how he became a better improviser after he was kicked off a Herald team. Now, I know some improvisers, if they get kicked off a team or their team gets broken up, they're going to use this as an opportunity to quit. And that is why I love this interview with Timmy so much, because he used it as an opportunity to motivate himself. Now, I'm going to say this, and this isn't going to be very popular, and I don't care anyways. If you're an improviser out there, my wish for you, and I hope that you get the opportunity at least once to be either kicked off a team or your team broken up, and I'll tell you why. And this happened to me. It was about 2001, 2002. I had come back to the I.O., and I was teaching my artist low comedy, but I wasn't teaching it in the level system. I was teaching it as an elective. So uh, I would get a lot of students that had gone through the level system and hadn't got on a Herald team or had been on a Herald team and been kicked off a Herald team or their Herald team wasn't on the schedule any, any, any longer and they couldn't figure out why and they, were, they felt they were getting the runaround or they weren't getting the answer they liked. And occasionally they would bring this up. And they would say, you know, I don't understand, you know, why I'm not on a Herald team or what do I have to do on a Herald team? And there was some bitterness there. And like I said, I couldn't relate because when I studied at the I.O., this was back in the early 80s, it was different. It wasn't huge like it is today. It was maybe 30 or 40 people, and we were taking classes in the back of a bar. And Sharna Halperin, who was the producer and co-founder and now is running this huge empire, she was teaching the level one classes. And after about two or three classes in level one, you were put on a Herald team. So you were performing the Herald in front of an audience in about four or five weeks. And then six months later, I'm on a house team and I'm performing two or three times a week. So when the students would bring up their, their woes about being kicked off a Herald team or their team broken up or having to audition for a Herald, I would get annoyed. So the longer I was at I.O., the more opportunities I got to perform. I was on Carl and the Passions and then they asked me to be on the show Pent. Uh, which I loved. It was one of my all-time favorite groups. And the talent was amazing. Dan Backadall, and you know him from Veep. He was on The Daily Show. He's got a show on FX. 
Noah Gregoropoulos, who's just an amazing improviser. Bill Baylor, who's an amazing improviser. Uh, Michael Patrick O'Brien, who's just become a feature player and was a writer on Saturday Night Live, uh, I, I think was in the show for a short period of time. Katie Knotson. And what we would do is we would go an hour before the show. We would rehearse. And then uh, Dan would teach us um, Foursquare, which was a, a very popular show that he did. He would teach us some techniques for that. And then we would go and do the show. And I loved it. It was I, I loved learning. I loved learning from Dan. I, I just I loved the group. I, I, it was just so liberating. It was one of the most fun I've ever had improvising. So we did that for maybe three months. And uh, the whole idea was that they, we got the 7 o'clock Friday slot down in the cabaret because they wanted to build an audience. Well, the audience was slowly trickling in, but it wasn't happening as fast enough. And so we got replaced. Essentially, our team got broken up, and we were replaced, this is my understanding, by a team. It wasn't even a team. It was a group of, I think it was like a group of students who I think just graduated from the I.O. training program. But the thing is, they had a following. And I'm sure they did marketing and got their friends and family in. And here's what I came away with. Um, usually I would have taken it personally and I felt rejected and be angry and disappointed. And I certainly was disappointed because I loved working with that group. But it was the first time that I didn't take it personally. I understood that it had nothing to do with talent. It was a business decision. And we are in a business. It's called show business. And it can be harsh. I understand. But that's the reality of it. And I look at it like like networks, you know, and, and when Arrested Development was on Fox, nobody would deny that that was a hilarious show. Nobody would deny that that cast was talented and the writing was superb. But every year when it was on Fox, it was on the bubble. And finally, it got canceled. And it didn't get canceled because of the talent or the quality. It got t canceled because it was a business decision. And the other thing I learned that was really, really helpful was it made me a better teacher. It made me more compassionate to the student because I now had the experience of being on a team that just gotten broken up. So here you go for your listening pleasure, the Timmy Mays episode. Please enjoy it. We've got a lot of people here today. Oh my for, goodness. For you, uh, um, let's start with you. You grew up in Texas, and you said you were a hyperactive kid. Yes. And your parents couldn't handle you. No. Okay, not at what all. kind of things did you do so your parents couldn't handle you? Uh, well, I'm an only child, and I, my, uh, my parents just, I don't think they really were expecting how to handle someone who had just so much energy and I had a very like very overactive imagination plus I also grew up in a, in a town called Plano which is very like Norman Rockwellish. like there's just all these like everyone no one leaves that town you get married you have kids you have the white picket fence so like the, the same as like every suburb you, so you say you had a great imag imagination what kind of stuff did you do to to torture your parents well uh, I would go through these phases where I would uh, I would love playing characters where like I'd just put a hat on and I'd like uh, take letters and just put them in whole like pots or different things and then my mom would ask me like what are you doing Timmy and I was like well in a previous life I was a mailman <laughs> and I'd just like walk away <laughs> so I'd be like a mailman for like a month and then uh, they would let me do these little plays because I had all this energy so they would give me the whole living room and I'd do all these plays 
and I remember I'd like set up all these acts and there's a bunch of stuffed animals and then, uh, but I only would take from what I knew and I only hung around my parents by this point so they were like all my material so I would like I would like have like a simple setting and I remember this one play I did called Dad's Home we actually did that when I was at Columbia College you did? yes well I didn't see any residuals off that um, and, and, and so the, it'd be a really simple premise and I would put like a, like a little hat on a bear and that was my dad and my dad would like come home and he would greet the family and he'd be like Honey, I'm home. Dinner smells great. And then I'd have him trip, and he'd go, God damn it! <laughs> and then my parents got really pissed. They're like, whoa. And I was like, no, 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 that's the character. That's not me. That's the character saying that. So, and then you were, you, your imagination was so great that they actually would ship you off at the summers to your grandfather's Yes, they farm. did. They did. They did. Every summer, they would send me with my cousins because they thought that that made you like a like a better man. <laughs> so what did you have to do? Oh, that man put us to work. He was we we worked the same schedule he did. So he would get up at five in the morning, and you do you just go out with him all day long because he was part of the like the farmers guild. So he would contribute grain and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and he had like cows and horses and I mean you did everything. You'd fix fences. You'd pick fruit. You'd mow. Lawns. I mean, you, were you? An- I would have been so angry. Were you angry that they sent you there? It almost sounds like you know, like a prison camp. <laughs> it it was it was, but like my cousins were there. But my cousins were the one. It was kind of like prison camp. It was really torturous because they would always be super mean to me. Like your cousins, my were. cousins would. Like my grandfather had an electrical fence that ran the entire length of the property. And so whenever, if you ever like worked on an electrical fence, no. you haven't. Okay, no. well you got to have gloves, and you like you you got to make sure the wires tout, and then you can hunt, check it with like an instrumentation to know how much like voltage is coming off of it. Because you can't set it too high, because if an animal licks it or its nose rubs up against it, it don't you don't want to kill it, you know. So we would go out in the middle of nowhere on his property because he had like hundreds of acres, and. Uh, my grandfather, along with my cousins, would be like, "All right, Timmy, now go get to go go um, take the fence, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna unhook the top of it, and uh, and then we'll fix the fence." And I was like, "No, it's on. The fence is on. You gotta turn that portion of the fence off." He's like, "The fence isn't on. Why would I do that to you?" And I was like, "No, I hear humming coming off the fence." And he's like, "It's not off." And then my grandfather would like kind of like not belittle you, but be like, "Well, I guess you're not a man." And then I caved in immediately, and I was like, "I'll do this." And so I. I touched the fence and it was still active and it like shot me back and they're just laughing and I remember I was like screw this and I just like I started walking back to the farm so it's like little things like that now, and then how many times did that happen I mean you, you he only did it one I okay. got smart okay, I, didn't, great. I didn't touch any fence after that okay yeah and then you I got the sense that as a kid and you had said that you had um, I was a fat kid so I had fat kid syndrome and you had, uh, I've never heard this, it's very rare, you had reverse uh, fat kid syndrome. Mm-hmm. Can you explain I that? I did. I, I, being little, uh, kids were just as mean if, as they were to like fat kids or mm-hmm. kids that just were different. So I... Like what, like, because I know what they, you know, me, it was like lard ass, fat ass, <laughs> you know, fat so all that mm-hmm. stuff. What did they call you? I was always like stick... Thinny, beanpole, uh, garbage. Uh, <laughs> uh, idiot. Uh, no, I don't think they call me an idiot. They would just—they would mostly just like like thin, thin terms, 
thin, I think someone called me like a thin grape one time and I got very offended by that. Which, would, wouldn't that be a raisin? I thank you. Yeah. Thank you. But that guy's probably so, successful now, so. So what did you do to compensate for that? Um, well, my mouth would get me in trouble a lot. Uh, if I wasn't a smart mouth back to you, which would then I would get into a fight or they would fight me. Uh, I mostly would just, I'd had to do something funny to make them, to make them laugh, do something. Whether it was just make a fool of myself or try to reverse it and put the blame on someone else. Like, let's make fun of this kid. Um, I didn't do that as much, but I mostly just tried to do anything I could. I realized that if I was funny, they wouldn't have a way to pick on me. So, and then it would kind of spread like a myth about you. Like, oh, this, you know, this guy's funny or this kid does something. Like, don't, let's not pick on him. And how, what did the teachers and the principals and stuff in school think of you? I mean, what kind of student were you? Uh, I was a, a good student, but I was, I was a daydreamer. I was, because my town is so small that the teachers that taught me taught my parents. So they would know you by the time you got to school and they would guilt trip you like, well, your mother and father were never like this. And at my elementary school, uh, you could sign off for, your parents could sign you off for three punishments. You could get uh, your nose on the wall for five minutes, you get your mouth washed out with soap, and, or you could get paddled. And my mom was like, let's give him all three. She just went right down. And so at their discretion, they would just call and say, we're doing this, and then they'd take you into a room and they'd do it. Did you get paddled? Did you get... Oh, I got all three. Okay. I was like, within like six months, was I got Was it all your three. mouth that got you in trouble? Because... Well, my, when, the reason I got, well, my nose, <laughs> I, the one, I remember all three of these specifically. I got the, my nose on the wall because we had a really old, well, I thought she was ancient when she was my elementary school teacher. If she taught my parents, she had to be old as right. hell. Uh, and she was making fun of a friend of mine who was just a, this, this girl, and I vividly remember in class, she made her cry, and she, like, just went off on her. And so I turned around and I basically told her, like, well, why don't you pick on someone um, that, that won't cry or something like that. And so she got my nose. That's what got my nose on the wall. And then um, mouth uh, wasn't uh, what got soap in the mouth wasn't a word I said. My cousins taught me a hand gesture that I didn't know was something you shouldn't do. What was the hand gesture? It was basically this. Okay. So I was like. So so I was the like, podcast, uh, explain yes. it. You were sticking. It was. Penis and vagina. Yes, I made a round hole with one hand and a a finger penis-like motion, and I put one finger into the hole. And I thought that was like my my cousins. I was super gullible too. My cousins were like, "Oh, there's this new fad." I'm like, "Oh, guys, check this out." I did it. Oh, I loved it. I was like, "Hey, what's up? What'd you do this weekend?" I learned this. I did this weekend, and the teacher was like mortified, and so she washed my mouth out with soap. And then the third one. And then the third one was. It was the same teacher, same class, this mean woman, and um, I decided to do an impression of her uh, when she was out of the room, but I did it on her desk, and my back was turned to the door, and then no one gave me the heads up she was coming in, and so when she came in, I was like, oh, shit, and so she drugged me all the way down to the principal's office, and I'll never forget, she sat me outside the door, and the principal, that was like his little scare tactic, he'd like leave the door open, and he'd call your mom. And my, he never called my father. He only called my mother. My mother always like loved me getting punished. And so she called my, the principal called her at work and she's furious because she never wanted to call my mom at work like to disturb her. She's just furious. And so she's like, what did he do this time? And he tells her and she's like, he's like, well, we have to spank her. We have to spank him. And she's like, go ahead. 
<laughs> and so he slams the phone down and he's like, Timmy, come in here. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> and he made me like assume the position on this table. <laughs> and I'll never forget the paddle was huge and it had holes in it so you could get more air in it. And he was a rather large man. And I tried to tell, I tried to talk myself out of it. I was like, I can talk my way out of this. I can talk my way out. And I was like, uh, I was like, um, it was Principal Harrison. And I was like, Principal Harrison, uh, I just got a quick question for you. I don't think you should, you should punish me. And he's like, why is that? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, a man of your size, <laughs> you're going to overexert yourself. I basically called him fat. And he just lined it up and he cracked me hard like three times and then sent me back. And, uh, and then I couldn't sit for the rest of the class. So for the audience, what year was this? I mean, this isn't like, this isn't like 1950. This is... No, no, no. This was like the, um, uh, like almost mid 80s. And do they still do that down I there? I don't, no. Oh God, okay. no, no. They don't do that now. And I don't think they do. And this was a public school, right? It's public school. Oh yeah, no private. No, my parents couldn't afford private school. So you go from, from being kind of a smart, alecky kid, right? Mm -hmm to uh, studying criminal uh, d uh, justice in college. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, how did that come about? Uh, well, my parents wanted me to be a lawyer uh, for a very long time, and I did not want to be a lawyer. And you say you wouldn't have made a good lawyer. Uh, no. Why is that? I just, I wouldn't take it. I would respond too much. You Meaning? Know, I, I would like... You know, defense attorneys and prosecuting attorneys, like if I was on whichever end, if I didn't like what the other person was saying, I know at one point I would just be like, come on, that's a bunch of bullshit, you know. Plus, I also, I can't defend someone who I know is guilty of a crime. I can't do it. So I you're, like a, you're like a method lawyer. I mean, you'd have to believe in what you... I would have to definitely believe. Yeah, there's no way I could be... I would have to know. I, I would probably end up just being a prosecutor. So how do you go from that to getting into improv in Chicago? Uh, I didn't... I didn't... Uh, it wasn't until I moved up here. My father had taken a job transfer, and uh, and, at I this, and at this point, you you guys were always in the same t the same state, right? A little bit. My dad would would transfer. His job made him travel a lot. So my dad's uh, we spent I spent my high school years in Florida, in Jacksonville, Florida, and then I came back to Dallas for college, and then finished college there. And then my father, by this point, had taken another job transfer to Chicago. And so I follow after college, I followed him up here. He's like, "Oh, try the town. You might like it." And I did, and he moved back to Dallas, and then I stayed up here, and uh, a girl I was seeing at the time uh, grabbed a flyer at I.O., and she's like, I think you'd be good at this, and then I just, I just took classes. And so you, you go through the program at I.O. I did, yeah. And then you get on a Herald team, mm -hmm. and like most people, because I, I studied at I.O., most people get kicked, you know, get, get, their team gets broken up, your team gets broken up. You get on a team after mm -hmm. being at I. Then, then uh, what do you do after that? Uh, well, my team got broken up, and I didn't get asked to come back. And I remember I was I was devastated, uh, and I had to find out what, is, what does devastation mean for you. I mean, do you get depressed. You mean um, I, I was I was very sad about it, but I had to also find out from like the guy on the team that no one liked. <laughs> <laughs> and he like called me at work he's like oh we got broken up sucks you didn't get on a team bye and I was like what <laughs> and did he get on a team oh god no okay. no I, no one liked this guy I don't even remember his name I just remember it was the guy no one liked oh no I do remember his name his names not, are not important um, 
Is he still improvising? <laughs> no. Okay. No. I think no. He, he, I don't know. He might be. Who knows? I, I know he doesn't. So he gives you the call, and then what do you do? Um, I was I was I was very I was devastated. I, I remember I felt like uh, uh, all the work I put in uh, that I wasn't good that I wasn't good enough, and I remember uh, I was like I I. Uh, first of all, my improv, I, I was just not good. It was what, is, not what, good. what does not good mean? Give oh, me an example. I was too witty. I, would, <laughs> I was way too, I thought it was almost like too jokey. Too, too witty, too jokey. I would like put an idea out and then I'd back off from the idea and I was afraid to explore it. I, I just, I didn't, I needed more experience on how to just do two-person scenes better and delve into it more and and work at it so i remember i emailed all of my teachers and i emailed all my coaches and i said that i wanted the most honest feedback you will not hurt my feelings this is really brave how did you come up with that idea because 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 i would have just that would be it you know how'd you come up with that i just i wanted to get better i really did i wanted to just get i knew i i was decent at it but I wanted to get much better at it. So why not, like most people get kicked off at I.O. or whatever, they'll go, oh, I'm going to go to Second City or I'm going to go mm-hmm. to Annoyance. How did you decide to, to I'm going to go back to the training center at I.O. And, and repeat it? Well, after I got feedback, which was amazing, and I still to this day, I still have those emails. What I kind of feedback did you get? Oh, it was brutally honest. I love it. I loved it. It was just like, you. this is what you don't do. The things I was saying before, they're like, you're not committing enough. You're too premacy or you're too, you're too jokey. You're too witty. That's going to run out. You need to do this. You need to make it about uh, a character choice. Make it about your scene partner. Delve deeper. Don't be afraid. All of these things. I still will look at them if I ever feel hesitant about something. I'll go back and I'll reread them. And then after that, when I got the notes, I was like, great. I need to work on this. So I did bar prov. I did bar prof for like three years straight, straight. I would do it probably three, four times a week. I didn't care where. I didn't care where. Short form, long form, or just all long form. Okay, all long form. And I did it in every place, places that don't even exist anymore. And I didn't care. I love it. I still love doing it. I don't do it as much as I used to. But I, every once in a while, if someone's like, "Hey." Can you come do, would you want to come do a set? I'm always like, yes. <laughs> so then you go back to I.O. Training Center. You pay the money, right? Yeah, and went, started right over level one again. Went all the way. And what was, gonna, what was different this time than the, uh, the first time you did it? I had much more fun, and I was more freed up and open to, like, wanting to learn everything. Had you put too much pressure on yourself the yes. first time? Yes. And what, 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 were you, what was the pressure about? Um, I think I, I looked at it as like a joke contest when that's not what improv, it's not a race, you know, it's not who can be the funniest. It's not, it's not like you got to do a joke a minute. There's much more to it. I didn't look at the artistic side of it. I looked at just the, the joke aspect side of it. So how did, how did, from that, from towards the end now, you, you end up on Deep Schwa, mm-hmm. which is a great team, a lot of veterans around there, uh, on that team. Uh, how was that? All of a sudden, you're on a great team. Some of these people m- might even have been your teachers. Uh, they were, and uh, that was the team I would always go and watch when I was in classes. So how was playing with them? Because 
I remember when I played with Carl and the Passions and TJ Jagodowski was on it. I was so tentative. All I could do is wait for TJ to initiate something because to me, he's like an improv guy. You're on a team with with some really improv, you know, experienced people. How did you play those first couple months? Well, how I got on the team itself was they. I had done a a, a play at the Annoyance, a short little play at the Annoyance uh, with uh, Kevin Fleming, uh, A.D. Bryant, Paul Britton, Katie Nonsense, and Katie Neff. Or no, I'm sorry, Katie Fullen. And we did a we did a short little play right. called Jacoby's Promise. And Brian Wilson directed it, and we had a blast. And Kevin, of course, was on Deep Schwa, and so he emailed me like a week later and was like, hey, we're short on schwa, would you want to just sit in? And I was like, great. Went and sat in, there were four of us, we had this really fun, amazing show, and I was like, that was great, thank you so much. I went back to my other Herald team that I was on at I.O. And then like a week later... Now, did people give you shit on that Herald team? Like, oh, you were... Not at all. Okay. No, they were, they were, they actually, I think the majority of them came that night and saw that show, and it would like meant the world to me. They were super supportive of it. And then a week later, one of the guys on the team was like, oh, congratulations. And I'm like, for what? And they're like, oh, you're on Deep Schwa. And I was like, what? Did the same guy who told you you were off call you? No, no, that no. That would have been nice, No, it, it would have been. He yeah. should have done that. Right. <laughs> should have done that. Guy's so how was it, how did you get comfortable on that team, or were you comfortable? Oh, I wasn't at all. I mean, it took me, it took me forever to get comfortable. I remember uh, Kevin Fleming, uh, Craig Euler and Jason Chin all had to yell at me. I would. I remember my first almost six shows. I didn't go out once. <laughs> I did, if I did, that was like I would like walk on and be like, "Here's your sandwich, sir." <laughs> and then they were like, "You got to get out there." And it was one of those. It just got. They just shoved me. I had to shove myself into the deep end of the pool. And then when I did, it was like also learning people's knew how they play, their moves, what they do, you know, getting comfortable with everyone. And, uh, and those were people, again, that I, like, I looked up to, you know, and loved, loved watching them play. So it, it did, and it took probably about, probably about six months till I felt real comfortable. I remember, I remember one night going home and being like, maybe that was a mistake. Like, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be playing with them. And... I don't think I've ever told anyone that. That was like, that was one time I, I came home and I was like, oh, they made a mistake. I should just go to my other Herald team and that, that fits right. But I'm glad that I, that I stuck through. Like you can ask Craig Euler. oh my God, he rode my ass like a fucking donkey, like for a year. And I loved it. I loved it. How, what do you mean rode your ass? I mean, oh, he would just be like, like in a good way, he'd be like, like uh, he'd be like, Maze, you gotta push the form. That was an awful Craig Euler impression. He's just like, he's like, you gotta do more. You gotta push. You gotta push. You know. He gave me one of the best notes. He goes, assume you know everything about everyone. And I was like, oh, it's that easy. <laughs> so, so you're known for doing characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not Craig Euler, but you're known for doing characters. <laughs> It's a, um, it's a work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> Save it for your SNL audition. Oh, baby. Uh, um, how, how do you go about developing characters? Uh, I think a lot of it is just more based... I feel like I'm much more of an emotional player. That I, I, I uh, try to establish quickly what are, what are we to each other. And am I reading something specific off of you, whether you know you're doing it or not? Like even just the tone of your voice, is your voice high, is it low? Do you say something that might seem a little sarcastic? 
uh, do you saying something de- endearing to me, something loving, and then I just try to just attack it. I just try to go for it, like, really hard. Do you come into the scene with an emotion? Uh, sometimes, but I, um, but it's not like, uh, sometimes I think I might do it without even thinking about it, but I don't, like, go through my brain. So when you hear a suggestion, and Uh let's say the suggestion is, uh, cheese. Okay. Okay. How do you break it down for an emotion? Or how do you get inspired by that? Uh, well, if it's cheese, I like cheese, so I, I will mostly <laughs> like, uh, I, I would, I, I like, well, I don't like all cheese. I like certain cheese, but cheese also can smell. Certain cheeses can have a, a really nasty smell to them that I don't like. So I'm picking already off like two emotions off that. If I like cheese, I'm more feeling something happy and flighty and light. And if I, cheeses that smell bad, maybe that's more of like, uh, someone who's just got like the weight of the world on his shoulders or has been uh feel feels burdened by something or just is having a shitty day at work so i just kind of go backwards with it but you take it from the emotional point of view. yes emotional point of view yeah okay we're gonna do that right now we're gonna take a suggestion okay and then we're gonna do a scene we may do a series of scenes we're gonna improvise um <laughs> What's so funny about that? I just like the way you premised it. Yeah, I, just, I like how you said it. You're welcome. Okay, we need a suggestion. Eggs. Eggs, great. Okay, let's do this, because I think this would be fun. Are we improvising we're never, now? We're improvising now. We got eggs. Okay. Okay, so let's hear your process of how you're going to break eggs down. My process of how I'm going to break yeah. eggs down. Yeah. Eggs immediately to me, I don't know why, makes me just think of a, of like a suburban mom. I don't know why. So you'll make that choice of being a suburban mom? I might. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do you want me to play that? No, it's up to you. <laughs> I'm controlling, but I mean, there's, a, there's when I'm performing, there's... Uh, so, um, so for me, I hear eggs... And if I'm going to turn it in emotionally, mm-hmm. I would say, okay, maybe somebody who's like walking on eggshells. I'm going to try that. You want to try that? Yeah, I'm going to try that. Okay. You want to try the suburban mom? Sure, let's do well, it. Let's just see and see what happens. Okay, okay great. great. I know, I know. I you're late. I, <laughs> you're super late. I know it's my fault. You're super so, late. I, I know, I know. Um, uh, I'm just gonna go up to bed, mom. Oh, you don't get off that easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta get up. Um, I gotta go um, school tomorrow tonight. <laughs> you know, I can always tell when you're lying because you say two things that aren't true. <laughs> You know you do that, Frankie. You do that. I, I, uh, um. Go ahead, Frankie. Go to bed. I'll take all of this delicious food and I'll just put it down the disposal. No, Mom, don't do that. Um, I'll, I'll wrap it up so we can have it for tomorrow. You want to wrap it up? Yeah. I guess you just want to wrap your mom up, too. <laughs> and just take her out whenever you want to take her out. And by that, you know... Have a connection with it. It's emotional. <laughs> <laughs> no, Frank. I'm gonna put this right here in the sink. Mom, please, please, don't. I'll, I'll do it. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'll do it. Okay. I know who you're hanging out with. Those hooligans. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. 
I know it. Look at your hands. Look at your hands. You got spray spray paint yes. hand marks on your hands. <laughs> We're doing a mural. We're doing a mural under the, the sub under the I'm lying again. I know you're lying. <laughs> and how do you know you're lying? Because I said under the subway and those two things don't go together. No, no. no one goes under the subway. No, it doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> you know Janice? The girl I've been hanging around with. Oh, I thought you were gonna. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's just funny, Mark. You never liked her, did you? I didn't like Janice. Because she's from the wrong side of the tracks. No, because she takes you to under subways. That's why I don't. <laughs> and you know what we do when we go under the subway? Oh. <laughs> you know what, Frankie? Fetch Mama her cigarettes. We need to have a talk. Fetch mama and cigarettes. You have right. emphysema, mom. I don't. Well, tonight I don't. It's gonna be, we're going to put it on. We're going to put it on hold. <laughs> All right, Frankie. I got her. Who pregnant. taught you that? You what? I got her pregnant. You got her pregnant. Yes. How do you know you got her pregnant? Because we, because we, we got a test at the, the McDonald's. I'm lying. <laughs> Frankie, first of all, you can't get tested at McDonald's. I know. Okay. What's, just talk to me. Talk to your mom. I miss that we don't get to talk to each I other. I got her pregnant. Okay. Are you sure it's yours? Mom. Yes. You sure? Because Janice could be taking a lot of boys down below the subway. You don't know. <laughs> Choose your words wisely. <laughs> Very wisely. I'm gonna put it in my ear and I'll smoke it when I feel like it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not your kid, am I? You've been lying to me. You wanna have this conversation? Yes, I do. <laughs> you wanna have this conversation? That's why Dad left. Alright. Let me take this plate out of the No, leave the plate there. <laughs> You want to know, huh? I want to know. You want to know. I want to know. All right. I want to know. Great. I'll tell you. Tell me. After we have some dinner. No. <laughs> That's what you said about Mike. Mike was a good man. Yeah. And he was not your father. Who is my father? Well, he's kind of like the wind. Just kind of. I can. <laughs> I can tell when you're lying because you look down at the ground. I don't know what you're talking about. Mom? <laughs> yes, Frankie. Who is my father? Oh, goodness. You'll never believe it if I tell you who your father is. Look at me, Mom. Do you want to know who your father yes, is? Yes, I want to know who my father is. Your father's Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I had a torrid love affair with Ronald Reagan. I don't believe you. You don't? I don't believe you. You don't believe me? I don't believe you. You don't believe me? Yes. I'll call him right now if you want me call to. Him. He's dead, Mom. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> this is all we have is a house of lies. This is a house of lies. Well, you know where I got it? I got it from you. And the apple does not fall far from the tree. <laughs> Who... Is my father. Great. Okay. You want to know who your father is? I don't even know why. This is, this is like Because I'll tell you, out. if you find out who it is, you're not going to like it. 
<laughs> Sometimes when we go looking for the truth, we might not like what we find. Sometimes it's best to not know things. I want to know. You want to know? I want to know. All right, I'll tell you who your father is. Look at me when you say it. Okay? <laughs> I, I don't want to hear it now. I don't you want to know? Hear it. Unless you can look in my eyes, I don't want you to make something up. Great. Your father, your father is the Unabomber. <laughs> your father is Ted Kaczynski. And I'd call him, but he's in jail right now. I'm pretty sure he's alive. <laughs> That's where you get your mischievous streak from. <laughs> Don't stand like a 1960s model in front of me. <laughs> With your hand on one hip and your hand low. I don't the know other. what to make of this, okay? You I don't, don't know what to make of I this. I told you, Frankie, you won't like the truth. I right, like okay. it. My, mother, right, my okay. father was the Unabomber. Okay, well, how did you. And I made You're smiling when you say it. You think it's funny? Well, I'm, I'm going off to college in three months. It is kind of comical that your father is the Unabomber. How did you guys meet? How did, how did you... He's a professor and I love intelligent men. And he seduced me one night. This was pre-beard. <laughs> then they flashed that picture of him in a hoodie with those shades on and I was like, I think I had sex with that guy. He's really my father. He is your father. That's why I left and went into the woods, because I wouldn't marry him. <laughs> so I also have blood on my hands as well. <laughs> and what about Mike? Mike is Mike. <laughs> Mike was a great guy. Mike was who I needed at that moment in my life, and he helped raise you, right? Yeah. And I'm sorry you had to find out like this. Can I tell people that my dad was Ronald Reagan? <laughs> you can. <laughs> I would have honestly had sex with Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> That was a lot of fun. I had a blast. Did you? Mm hmm Good. <laughs> so you started... Did it sound like I didn't have a blast? I had a blast. No, I was like, I wish I had a little more energy tonight. That I feel like you had just fine okay. energy. I love when you shoved me. That's energy. Right. Um, okay, so we started out with, with the theme, mm -hmm. which, was, which was eggs. Mm -hmm. um, and then... You, you went right to the character, but it was a character with an emotion and a point of view. Can you explain that? Yeah, I just, when we, when you had asked me kind of like, how do I feel when I hear eggs, just really off the top of my head, just was kind of like this, this homemaker, this kind of housewife uh, who I felt like put in time to make a meal and was not really satisfied that, you know, at first I thought you were my husband. When it, but then when you, but I didn't, we didn't establish that. And it was great when you were just like, when you called me mom. And I was like, ah, great, even better. So I'm a disciplinarian in some way. Mm -hmm. And then just went from there.
And then, uh, then let's talk about the emotional stuff that was going on in mm -hmm. that scene. Mm -hmm. um, the first one was was the you were trying to guilt me, right? Yes. And then that didn't work. Mm -hmm. And then we went to the, what did we do after that? Well, you wanted to go up to your room, right? And I wanted to keep you there, so I was. Then I just started kind of not being, uh, kind of like poking you with a stick a little. I wanted mm -hmm. to get a little. I wanted to rile you up a little bit. I didn't want you to leave mm -hmm. that room. So after I tried guilt and you were still going away and that wasn't working, I took it to more of a, like, almost like a vis more visceral emotion. Mm -hmm. And then we f the whole lie thing was great because that was just, you did a, you're a great listener. I mean, you picked up, you know, the smallest nuance. I, I like I'm doing now, I couldn't get my words out or whatever. And you're like, oh, I know you're lying because... You're saying two things that don't make any sense, mm -hmm. which was nice because then we could follow, we could cash in on that that pattern a little later in the in the scene. Yeah, and then then we get to this point of who's the father and where did that come from? Um, I I felt as if like I wanted to see that maybe like who was responsible for kind of the way you you act. Mm -hmm. So if it maybe if it's not me, like how did you turn out the way you did? Maybe it could be your father. Mm -hmm. Maybe your father had a little bit of a hand in that. Right. And then you telling me that you never, that you didn't know, like you you had a pretty good feeling that you knew you were, uh, you didn't that the man that you thought was your father wasn't, uh, was a huge reveal. Right. And I, the, my first thing was I had this secret in this, or, or this bomb that I wanted to drop, and the bomb was I got this girl pregnant. Mm -hmm. We, we kind of, could do you think we could have played that a little more? Or? Oh hell yeah! Okay. Oh god yeah! And then, I would, I could have, I could have, even if you had just said like you came home and you were like and mumbling a little bit, and I knew you had, I clearly knew you had something on your mind. Okay. You'd been busted for something. Right. That if we talked about you. Uh, getting a girl pregnant? Oh man, I cut right. I, I think I that. panicked, and I'm like, oh, he's not picking up on this, or, so I'm gonna go to uh, let's go. I'll throw something else out. And and when you said something about, uh, mm, I forget what you said, but it was kind of almost a look. I'm like, oh, maybe he. It was in your tone, and I'm thinking maybe you're not my, you know, maybe there's an, someone else is my father. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I well that and I love that I thought I clearly knew you were like a troublemaker like you would go out and you would do things but I love that we went from you like kind of like spray painting and graffitiing things to like this girl I hang out with I clearly didn't like you got her pregnant mm -hmm. so it's almost like sweet Jesus this is getting what is this kid doing it's getting worse and worse but I love that kind of stuff it was so layered and then when you were talking about dropping a bomb on me that's the that's why I referenced both um, Reagan and um, Ted Kaczynski, mm -hmm. the Unabomber. Classic, was, classic comedy go-tos. <laughs> Are those in your trick bag? No, no, not, okay. not at all. So, so how did Reagan and Kaczynski come into your head? Uh, Reagan, I just was like, uh, for me, like huge bomb dropper was just kind of like how he treated the economy mm -hmm. and how like he treated people that were like, that didn't make a certain amount of money. Like the rich got richer, the poor got poorer, which I t translated into that maybe that that's how our lives have been. And then the, Jesus Christ, you are thinking. And then things. and then Unabomber, I totally took from you saying like you literally saying you dropped a huge bomb on your parents. So I was like, well, bomb and Unabomber. That's all I took from that. Oh, that's really interesting. So that's every every sentence that you're saying. I'm trying to break it down even more, but I'm trying to break it down like backwards in time, where I'm like, and how does this feel? And 
Plus, I know like way too much about presidents too. I mean, <laughs> that stupid stuff. And then I, I felt like at the end, I tried to wrap it up by going, and I, I don't know if that, I don't think that was the smartest choice on my part, saying, "Oh, let's just say it's Reagan." Oh, I, I felt like it. I felt like it was fine because I wouldn't want my father to be known as Ted Kaczynski. The Unabomber. <laughs> I would hate that. I feel as if I turned the audience on me. I keep saying Ted Kaczynski. Right? <laughs> okay, I apologize well, if anyone's... Never mind, I'm going to go. Okay, uh, Can we take some questions out from yeah, the audience? Yeah, sure. Great, definitely. All right. Emily, if you could turn the lights up. Uh, we've got uh, either what we just did or a question for Timmy. Right over here. Did you get any... Um any flack from people when you restarted the I.O.? Did people say, like, you know, what, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you doing this? Or did no. you feel like, gosh, I failed once, maybe I'll fail again? No, I, ne I never got any flack. If anything, I remember people were kind of, were kind of laughing and were like, uh, they were like, well, why don't we, we can go to Sharna. And I was like, you don't have to. That's really nice of you to do that, but like I wanted to. When go you said through. go to Sharna, meaning speak on your behalf to get you on a yeah, team. Yeah, to see, because they were like, they had known by that point I'd done so many years of like bar, bar prov and I was doing stuff at the playground theater too. And I remember specifically telling them, I'm like, no, 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 please don't do that. Please don't do that. Like, I, I, I want to prove like to myself as well that like of, of how much work I've put into it. And like, but I also still, I, I play every show as if like, uh, she is going to cut me. I really do. Like that they're like, they this kid, it's enough. Get him out of here. I heard you say something like, you play like they're going to take it away from you. Yes. Where did that come from? Uh, is that a fear of yours? It, uh. Like it was taken away from you before and. I just, I look at it as something, it's something I care so much about that I guess ask if something in your life, what's the most important thing that you have in your life? What if someone took that away from you? Like, you know, like there's certain people in my life that I, that I care a lot about and I'm very protective of. Well, what if someone took that away from me? I would be devastated. The improv is, and acting is the same way. So I try to do every show as if like, this is literally my last show. Have you done shows where you haven't thought that? Uh, sometimes I have, but, but I, I try to play it like, yup, but I'm always gauging like, what did the first team do? What did the second team do? What's going on in the audience? How are people feeling? I'm very much like, I want to make sure that you get your money's worth. Um, I also want to do justice to like the piece and the form and what we do. And yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm, but it's weird. It's like, I'm like thinking all these thoughts, but they don't overwhelm me. But I'm just on the side, like, all right, let's go. Because if I had two of those thoughts, I couldn't get out of bed. You would just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd just be yeah, like an emotional like, wreck. Yeah, I am as it is, but I mean, that would really put me over the edge. Uh, some more questions. Yes. Oh, I have two real fast. Um, you tend to play, you have this very specific character sometimes that's a old man who killed a bunch of Nazis. <laughs> is that based on someone in real life or is that just a fantasy for you? Uh, it, I, love, I love playing old men for some weird reason. Uh, but my, uh, my family has a very big uh, military history. Uh, and I, I find it funny because like they've done, in my hometown, Certain family members of mine are known for these deeds they did in different wars, and then I'm like, these old Prince Valiant wrists? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm the only person who wasn't in a war, and I'm fine with that. But, uh, but like, I, there's some, it's, 
funny seeing it from an insider's point of view. Like my great grandfather lived to be over a hundred, and like he was like a hundred and five, hundred and six, and he helped capture Pancho Villa. I don't even know if you know who that is, but he was just like uh, this. Uh, yeah, this crazy man. Well, he might have been just fine. I don't know. I don't he know actually him. played on a Herald team with me. He did? Yeah. I go way back. Like, but, yeah. And, and then my, my, my uh, great uncle was in Iwo Jima, and he was in a, in a bunch of pictures were taken of him in Life magazine. And so, like, there's, like, this weird kind of shit that, like, this guy's a war hero, but he's horribly racist. <laughs> Like, just like he is, and it's just like, and it's just weird, so I don't, plus I just love making fun of Nazis. <laughs> what was your other question? Uh, my other question was, what are your thoughts, or what could you say about breaking and scenes, and whether it's sometimes detrimental, because it destroys maybe the, the reality you've built, or if it brings the audience in to show how much fun the performers are having on stage? Do you break? Oh, I do. Okay. And I and I hate uh, like a little piece of my soul breaks off and falls into this giant sun in front of me that no one can see. <laughs> and I I hate it. Uh, I I don't personally like breaking. Uh, and I've I and I guess one day I guess what it'll take is, I, whenever I tend to break, the audience for some strange reason seems to be on board with it. But I don't like that I do. I do sometimes feel like I it, it takes away from the moment or the scene. If I was a student in your class and I had a problem with breaking, what would you tell me? Oh, I'd be probably really, I would say stop doing that. I would not be practicing what I preach. Uh, I think it, in, a, in a level one class, I definitely think if it's starting to... Well, I think, that, I think if it's starting to, like again, be detrimental to the scene... Uh, I try not. Usually, what makes me break is someone just doing something that just make that I find very funny. Mm -hmm. But if we were doing this very beautiful, poignant scene, and where we're really talking about a subject, and I broke, I'd feel. I mean, I'd feel awful. I'd feel like I was just winking to the audience, like, "Look at what we did," uh, and then I would be like, "May stop doing that." Why can't you use it as part of your character? For breaking? Yeah, you break, and either one one player justifies, oh my God, you're laughing in my face, mm -hmm. or you just say, oh, I think that was really fun. Why? Because why? I think like breaking, people put way too much pressure on themselves about it. They do? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, read, I think I, I read an article recently about like breaking and you shouldn't break, and it, and it like... That it, it's very detrimental to the scene. I, but if I've we're in the moment, if it. we're in the moment, Timmy, yeah. Timmy, if we're in the moment and you break, aren't we in the moment? Still, yes. But I've never done it where I've played it like to to say like, yeah, this is why I'm laughing. Okay. I mostly then I usually will cover my face like this with my hand over to my side, or I'll turn away and try to compose myself. And sometimes it's happened, and sometimes it hasn't. Like I can, I, I can stop it. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. I feel like I'm rambling. Okay. Uh, uh, some more questions? Yes. Who is your favorite improviser? Um, I had uh, Joe Bill as a teacher, and he told me that you should always watch someone uh, that you really enjoy and watch them uh, with a magnifying glass. And my two people were always Brad Morris and Steve Waltine. And those were the two people that I would just go to see their shows 
and just watch them, watch everything. I, I remember when I first met Steve, it was so awkward and weird. And I just like saw him and I was like, I'm a fan of yours. Uh, I'm stupid. And then I like walked away. And, um, and I just know like every move. And I asked myself like, well, why did they do that? Why did they respond that way when they heard that line of dialogue? Why did they play that character? Why did they do that choice? And I feel like the two of them are just, they're these amazing listeners and thinkers. And I just, I, I could just sit, I could have watch them read a magazine, and I'm just like fascinated by it. Well, they also, both of those guys make it so effortless, don't they? Yes. And they play to the top of their intelligence, even when they're playing dumb characters. Like, they're just, yeah. And I've been able to play with Steve, and it's great. I love it. I've never been able to play with Brad, though, but. A um, couple more questions? Yes. What can you say about um, acting? I know you've done some commercial work and some. You were out in LA for a period of time. Mm -hmm. What have you learned from that? Um, be the most confident you can be, even if you have to fake it. Like, you'd be surprised what a camera will pick up and read off of you. So even if you're hesitant about something. Uh, I know it's easy to say try not to be, but just try to be 100% the most confident person that you can be. I think it's also good too to like having a unique take on something. Just kind of like come in and make a choice. Like just make a choice and do something. And I feel like that helps a lot too. Um, How does your improv training help on, on, a, on a TV set? Um, I haven't been able to incorporate too too much of it, but it's definitely doing improv is in the television work I've done is like you have to uh, you never let them see a sweat, never let them see a sweat because no one's there to hold your hand. They just assume that you've done it. It's so weird. Like it's like you're in a club that you but you're the first time, but they think you've always been in the club. So they're like, oh man, you know, oh, what's it like filming today? And you're like, uh, great, I guess. <laughs> I you know, but it's a lot of like, I haven't had anyone and the stuff I've done, I've had, now I've done improvised auditions at commercials and that's been a blast, but that's after I've had Because you've gotten some commercials mm -hmm. and, and so you get the audition as improvising. When you get on set, do they expect you to improvise or do they expect you to stick to the script? A couple have. Mm -hmm. A couple of, uh, have let me improvise or they'll we'll improvise the premise. So we can't go too wacky and too far. Plus it's a commercial, so you can't curse, you can't down the product, you can't you know, I used to remember, I remember I did like a bank commercial and I was like <laughs> something stupid. When I improvised I was like, I was like oh man, Oh, what did I say? I said something really goofy, like, uh, like don't, don't, don't bring your money here. Uh, <laughs> and they were like, what? And I was like, sorry, oops, oops, no, I love this product. This product's great. What's the name of the product again? Yeah, oh, so yeah, what is this? Great, yeah. um, so it's like, you know, they'll, you'll, they'll give you like a, like a, I remember like a premises, like um, I did a commercial for like Fifth Third Bank and it was like three roommates and one was really good with his money, one was bad with his money and one was really stupid and I was the stupid one. And so, and I was best friends with the one who was bad with money. So we would all, it's almost just, you just feed the character. 
So it was like, I knew I had to be stupid, so I'd, what was stupid things I would do with my money? And then I could like do some banter with the other stupid one, and then I could always have some banter with the straight-laced guy who's always responsible with his money. So again, like taking an emotion. So it's like, oh, Bill, you're always responsible. I put a Nintendo in the microwave. <laughs> I mean, and was that? And then you got a you got a national commercial or a couple national commercials? Uh, I've done a been ooh pretty lucky, Jimmy. Uh, the old nationals. Um, <laughs> uh, Can you tell me this? Yes. Because everybody thinks you get a national commercial and it's like winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. You don't have to give me an exact figure, but w- what's the range that, that someone would make on a national commercial? Well, the, the, the differences have changed now because there's more, there's more means to put stuff on, not just television, but internet. So right. you can't make those big so you did. So, so what did you make when you, you had a national commercial? Um, I made... You you can make a good amount of money off of it. Five thousand dollars, ten thousand. You can make anywhere. I think you can make anywhere from like, uh, depending on how long they're showing it and residuals. You can make I think anywhere from like three to ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. It's always. But it's grand. not like the old days. You get a national commercial, let's say Head and Shoulders or soap yes. or something like that, and people yes. were it was like winning the lottery. Yeah. It would be you know thirty thousand, fifty thousand dollars, and you wouldn't have to. W- off one commercial because they showed yep. it somewhere. All the time. Those are the best people to talk to at those when you book a commercial. I always talk to the if they hire an older actor, I'm always like, what was it like? Because <laughs> they're like, oh, that old head and shoulders commercial. Right. I still make money right. off that. Yeah, and they're like, it ran for eight years. Yes. Every Christmas it came out. Yes, I bought me two houses, a jet ski, three engagement rings. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, what? But I think it's important for, for, for actors today to to understand that it's n- unless you're like TJ and, uh, and and Pete Gross with that Sonic, unless you're going to get a campaign, you you got to still have a day job if, if you know if, if you do one or two national commercials. Today. Yeah, but I'm very I'm very lucky, and I feel like though you can do it. It's a lot of hard work. You can do it. You have do what? That I only work a part time job. I only work three days a week at a law firm. Ugh. <laughs> at least I please my parents on some level right. I work at a law firm and it's like I just make coffee for rich people all day I love it uh, I do a little bit more clean the bathrooms uh, no, uh, but I only work three days a week and it frees me up to make to go out on auditions and I'm very fortunate enough to teach and coach you know and I make I know what I make and I'm able to like you know it's enough to get by, and but I'm very good with my money. I'm very good with my money. Uh, that if I book something, uh, I can it? make it last. Oh no, I mean okay. I save it. I always save it. But I'm very like I'm always. Maybe sometimes I worry about money too much. But I'm getting better at it. Like if I have money, I want to like spend it or have some fun or go on vacation or something with it. Are but, you not good to yourself with your money? I mean, are you cheap with yourself? Do you think? No. Sometimes I can be, but I try to, I try to, I'll tuck a lot of it away, but I at least try to treat myself to something or buy something for myself. So you get a national commercial, you get a $5,000 residual check. Yeah. What, what, what are you, what, what are you going to buy for yourself? Nice. What are you going to do with that money? Well, Jimmy, about 4,500 of that's going to go away somewhere. Um, Are you serious? Oh God. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, I will. Um, probably, oh, what was something? I'd probably just buy like clothes or, or (laughs) go to... Wisconsin for the weekend or something. 
I'm very frugal. Uh, I don't. I like. I need shoes. I need new shoes. I got these these old nasty things. So I'll probably buy some shoes. Are you gonna buy them in this in the next couple of weeks, or are you gonna have to wait to get another national commercial? Probably have to wait. Jimmy. Okay. <laughs> Times are tough right now. Where, Times are tough. Where do you see? I mean, you've 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 you've. I mean, in terms of improv in Chicago, you've you've hit the top. Where where do you see your career going from here? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I sometimes I think there's still a lot more I can do here that I need to do. I think there's a lot more. Well, what I would you like to do here. that you haven't done here in Chicago? Uh, I'd like to put up more shows. I'd like to write more shows. I'd like to put up more solo shows or. Do some do sketch. Uh, I know that sounds. People might not think that that sounds very glamorous, but I, I, I would like to. I would like to do that. I have an amazing agency that they're trying to like phase me into doing less commercial work and doing more television work, and they're really supportive and great about but that. Realistically, but realistically, for that to happen, you'd have to go to L.A. You have to L.A. or New York. You have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those dream gigs to split your time between is it's very rare to do that or or but i mean if, in a perfect world i'd love to just be able to go to la or new york and film some stuff for a couple of months and then spend the rest of my time here i'd love to do that because i read something you really enjoy doing film and television i do i do what what is it about that that you really enjoy uh that's challenging different than improv it's so i love that like they just they don't tell you anything they just they expect you to come super prepared and the challenge of that is just amazing to me i love it i love i love the challenge of that cuz no one's there to hold your hand no one does anything like that so if you could have anything career wise what would it be i think just to work just i don't i mean you know just to be on something that's reoccurring even if it's like it's just a show a television show it doesn't even have to be like a big part just something that i just love working so i would i would just want to keep working i get very like addicted to that i get very like like after i've been very fortunate enough to do some television stuff i'm always like oh i want more i want another fix and not in a way like an egotistical way do you think like it'll never happen again kind of thing that will be taken away from you too Oh, I try to look at it as all of it would be that all of it could be taken away. That's why I try. I take the same philosophy I take in improvisation. I take into every audition I do. Whether it's what about dating? Does that come up too? Like (laughs) it's going to be taken away from me. (laughs) Friendships. It's going to be taken away from me. Um. Uh. I don't. That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe I probably should start acting like that or feeling like that. But because for me. Saying that's going to be taken away from me, that would put, I would have, that would, I have enough pressure in my life. That would put even more pressure. And it's interesting that you can make it such a positive, you know? The, about, about that it's going to be, yeah, yes, that this is so precious. I mean, I think it's, it's beautiful. Like, but I think, I think I feel that way because I lost it. Oh, this goes. So I feel, I feel as if I learned to, to play that way because I took for granted the first time I was going through I.O. and doing and learning improv, I took it for granted. So to know that it could be taken away from me, and I think the things that I care about the most, I hate that they could be taken away from me. I, that devastates me. 
So I think that's where that mentality comes from of like, oh my God, I lost it once. I do not want to lose it again. I, I refuse to lose it again. Like, and you're really getting emotional about this. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, I, 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 I was, I, I feel like that I, I, had, I have lost it, so I don't want to lose it again. But I feel like the things that you care the most about, you don't want to lose them. You know, you want to fight, you want to fight for them, you know? What happens when people, like for me, when people go on, you know, that I started out in Chicago, they go on to do, there's a sense of loss, I feel, like, um, like almost abandonment. You know, like, or I'm missing out on something. Do you ever feel that when people you've started with or close go on to either Los Angeles or New York? And gone on to just, to, to move or just to do No, to become successful. To, be, to yeah. become successful? Yes. I think I've, the friends of mine that I've known that have gone on to be successful have been nothing but the most caring and kindest people. Every time I see them or they're in town, they make it a point to hang out or do something. And it's like, it's almost like we're all together. I don't even understand why you would get jealous about someone's success. I never understand that. I also kind of have this pet peeve when, when someone will, will leave and go off, will, uh, you know, and we do a goodbye for them, which is great, and someone will usually, like, or even after they're gone to wherever they've gone, whatever television show, someone will say, you know, uh, the community has suffered a real loss, and it's gonna be hard to fill that hole. And yes, it has, but I don't think they realize that there are people in this town doing amazing things. So sometimes when I hear that, I'm like, mm, no, that's not true. <laughs> yes, we're going to miss the people that have gone on. Of course we are. But when they come back, we'll still show them that same love. But there's still people here busting their ass doing things constantly, whether it's putting up film work or putting up stuff on the web or the way they play. That's why I love like watching... Uh, family Treehouse Boat Accident with Barry Height and Tim Baltz. They never, they never, every week they do a new form and they never half-ass it. And they've done that show for what, like three years? I, I go to just watch them. I still go and watch teams. Still watch younger teams. I want to know what they're doing. There's a couple, I think, here tonight that might be on something. There's <laughs> one over there. What's the name of that team? Oh, you want me to name drop yeah. the team? Bro? Yeah. Uh, the Ruckus is one of them. Okay. And also, wasn't Switch some members of Switch? Switch Committee. Yeah, those yeah. guys. Uh, I yeah. love those guys. So look out for those guys. Look out. But they're, but they're very, what I love about them is they play, they're all dudes. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm getting them to try to play more women. They okay. need to play more women. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, but they, they attack everything. And they're up for anything when I coach them. That's what I love. They're up for anything, and I tell them they, they have that same mentality, like that they that it's like this is our stamp. What can we put on it? Like I, that's what I look at on Sundays. It's like this is our time. This is what we have. What can we do with it? And I think that that's where that kind of fear comes from. That I don't I don't want to lose it. But I literally, honestly, do. I play every show as if like that's it. Sharna's gonna come in and be like, "Get this hack off stage." <laughs> You're not a hack. You're a very great improviser and a great guest. Tim Mays, thank you so much for being on the show. There you have it. It's another episode of Improv Nerd in the Can. I want to thank our guest today, Timmy Mays. 
uh, as well as the good people here at Stage 773 in Chicago, our home base, and my producer, Ben Caprero. He's the guy who makes it sound so slick and so professional. I have nothing to do with the technical part of it. Also, you probably have figured this out uh, because you're smart people, that we're on feralaudio.com. So check out the other great podcasts on Feral Audio. People like Chelsea Peretti, Todd Berry, Matt Dwyer, Dan Harmon, Jimmy Corain. It's okay. I can plug my own stuff. And hit that donate button and see what happens. Maybe a couple pennies come our way. So if you like what what we're doing, this is what I'm trying to say here, go to the donate button and donate to Improv Nerd. I'm asking. I'm just going to be blatant. Also, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning classes, and my Improv Nerd blog, which has so many tips on helping you become a better improviser, go to jimmycorain.com. And finally, please, 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 it sounds like a beg, but it's more like a request, like Improv Nerd Facebook page. All you have to do is hit like, It doesn't cost you anything, but it really helps with my low self-esteem. And I want to thank you guys for listening and being so supportive and and sending me those wonderful emails that keeps me going. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide Buddies. (laughs) That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century, Mm -hmm. and he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's Like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich... I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a... girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a bat. I help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my... <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha